Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I thank you for these people. I thank you that you promise to be with us by the presence of your Spirit, that Jesus, your death and resurrection and conquering death made it possible for us to be reconciled with you and to, to be in your presence like we are right now. Whether we feel like you're close to us or not, God, show us who you are. Open up our eyes to your presence around us. May we be people who are different when we leave today than when we came in because of you and your presence here. And God, I pray that your presence would remain here throughout this week and be a blessing to share it in school, that the, the teachers and the faculty and the staff um, would come to this place and that they would feel empowered and energized to be about the things um, that they're doing here and to be learning. God, we pray that nothing would stand in the way of these kids getting a great education here in Northeast Minneapolis. So we pray your hand to be upon the school. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're starting a new conversation called Asking for a Friend. Uh, how many of you have heard of the hashtag, Asking for a Friend? Okay, so a hashtag. Do you know what that is? Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. Hashtag is, is commentary on your commentary is really what it is. And so on Twitter or Facebook or any of the things, people might put a hashtag to make a comment about something. And so this has become a popular one, hashtag asking for a friend, because it's arisen from this idea that there's people who want help with their questions and their problems, but they kind of don't want to admit that they're the one who actually has the question or the problem. Does that make sense? So here's some examples. You can put that slide up of the... Okay, so for instance, here's a, just from Twitter yesterday. Is, Kayla says, is Ohio State gear acceptable wedding attire? Hashtag asking, somebody think so. Hashtag asking for a friend. Jenilyn says, is it too early for Christmas music? Okay, so that, we know the answer to that one. And then finally, Dan the Man Peters, is it too late to start training to be a pro wrestler? And he says, hashtag asking for a friend. And then he adds a hashtag, and by friend I mean myself. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the concept of and by friend, I mean myself. And so we're going to have a little segment, a, a new sermon segment every week that we have lovingly called interns reading hashtag asking for a friend from Twitter. Ready? Check it out.
And that is interns read asking for a friend tweets. Whether you thought that was funny or not, we're going to do that every week, so just be ready for it. Um, it the thing is, is that it, the, the part of it being funny, which it typically is on Twitter or something like that, it, it gets not so funny, the concept of asking for a friend, if you realize that there's some serious stuff that we sometimes hold back from other people in our lives, even the closest people in our lives. There's things that, of course, it maybe wouldn't even be appropriate to put out the hashtag, but let me just give you an example. It, it gets not so funny when it's things like, how bad is it that you haven't had a decent conversation with your spouse in months? Hashtag for a friend, asking for a friend, right? Or, or if somebody's saying, uh, is it something that people should be concerned about when they're feeling really worried about winter coming because last year when it was really dark outside, it felt really dark inside? Hashtag asking for a friend. See how quick it's not funny, right? Everyone's like, bring back the interns. That got dark really fast. But the truth is, is that there is this reality in a lot of our lives, and I would suggest for all of us, it's difficult to name and to speak out some of the most difficult, hard things that go on in our lives. For almost all of us, this can be something that is very difficult for us to do. And we all have trouble at times naming the difficult and tough realities that we're facing in our lives. And so that means, I would say, that we have to choose to intentionally share those things and intentionally be vulnerable in appropriate ways with the right people so that we can move towards Jesus and move towards healing in our lives. Many of you have probably read uh, sociologist Brene Brown, who's become very popular for this, com this concept that courage is something that is actually born out of vulnerability rather than born out of strength. And this is, just think about that for a second. You can see why this has become an important topic and her writing has become really helpful because for a lot of times I think we think of courage as something that comes from strength. But what she has shown through studying human beings, sociology, that courage actually comes from being willing to be vulnerable. She says this, courage starts with showing up and letting ourselves be seen. Courage starts with showing up and letting ourselves be seen. And the thing that keeps us from living with courage and having courageous conversations probably more than anything in our lives is shame. Shame holds us back. And it keeps us in this place where we think we aren't strong enough to actually begin to name the things that we know we need to begin to get freedom from, that we know we need other people to help us with. So what would it look like? This is the question for this conversation. What would it look like to be a community that could declare shame-free zones over our dinner tables and coffee shop tables and over our, our phone call conversations? What if we could truly say, this is a shame-free zone because we want to be people who bring each other to Jesus? No matter what the difficulty, no matter what we're sharing in our lives. And I'm just to be very clear, I'm not encouraging people to awkwardly overshare on the internet or something like that. If you're one of those people that does that, we can talk later. Maybe that's a different sermon series about the oversharing on the internet, okay? I'm talking about people in your life that you know can come alongside you and be there for you in this way. Sometimes even the fact that people overshare in some certain spaces is a sign that they're not genuinely sharing to the people who they know can come, come alongside them in the deepest way. So I would say that this conversation is going to push us a little bit, but what I love to say is everybody's got a comfort zone, and I'm not asking anybody to just obliterate their comfort zone. I'm saying, can we just push it a little bit, all right? So you know where you're at. How did you push your comfort zone just a little bit? Because this is super important for us. It's super important for us to be able to live out our mission because these things in our lives can often be barriers for us to fully join in what God is doing around us. 
So it's going to push us a little bit. I'll warn you that there might be some conversations that we have over these next few weeks that might be difficult for some of you based on some things that have happened in your life. And I want you to know we're going to do everything we can to, to proceed with caution and be very careful and loving about how we talk about some of those things. We want to handle it with care. But we know that when things are brought into the light and out of the darkness, then some of the power that they have over us is broken. Right? And so that's why we're going to have some of this conversation. So we're not going to ask anybody to come up here and publicly sh- share all their things. That's not it at all. But we are going to ask everyone to think about whether or not they're being vulnerable with the appropriate people in their lives who can come alongside them and help bring them to Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about today. So I've been using this phrase, bring you to Jesus, bringing people to Jesus. And this actually comes from a story about Jesus that has been really close to my heart for probably 10 or 15 years. And I've thought about this phrase of people bringing each other to Jesus because of this story that has just captivated me. And I want to talk about that story with you today. Um, This idea of needing healing and coming to Jesus can be something that, that can happen in a lot of different ways, right? Healing can happen supernaturally. It can happen in the form of doctors and therapists and medicine and friends and so many things, right? And I am somebody who says, I declare that all healing is God's healing, and I am happy to see God use whatever necessary to bring healing in people's lives. And so this is what I think the story is about. The story here in Scripture is about somebody being brought for physical healing, but you'll find out in the story it's more than that. And so let's turn to this story in Mark 2. If you have a Bible, we'll have it up here on the screen. This is in Mark 2, 1 through 12. And this story is being told about uh, in the early part of Jesus' ministry. And as I read it, realize that there's actually four more stories after it. It's the first story out of five that Mark tells where Jesus is displaying his authority and his power. And very easily we see that the people, the religious leaders who have authority and power in that context are very threatened by the power and authority that Jesus has. So there's five stories about this, and we're just going to read the first one. But that's the context uh, of the rest of these stories. So as I read it, imagine yourself there in this scene and think about this idea of of Jesus displaying the power and authority that he has um, as, as he is beginning his ministry out here. Okay, so Mark 2, starting in verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came to him, bringing a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat, lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and go? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. So this is the story that I'm I'm sharing with you that's become meaningful to me uh, because of, of a specific story in my life. 
But something to, to note here, there's, I said there's four other stories after this. Every single reaction, did you notice that reaction was really positive? People worshiped God and they said, whoa, we have never seen anything like this. As each of those stories goes, if you were to keep reading, the reaction gets kind of worse and worse. By the time you get to chapter 3, verse 6, it's very clear that uh, the, the reaction by those religious leaders is that they begin to conspire to kill Jesus. That's the, the turning point where they say, all right, we've got to get rid of this guy. And so in this story, it just seems like, man, this is amazing. And the reason the story has become meaningful to me is that uh, many years ago, not that many, but many, um, when I was coming out of college, I was dealing with some serious chronic pain, physical chronic pain. And so this is when this story became really meaningful to me. Um, I was an ice hockey player in high school and college, and let's just say some of those injuries decided to stick around. Anyone playing high school, college sports, broom ball, have some chronic pain that stuck around now into your adulthood? I know some of you have, be honest. Alethea, I'm sure you do. You know, it just, it stays with you. So this at first seemed not like not that big of a deal, but it started to get worse and worse to the point where I would be woken up in the morning because of this pain, and then I would have to go to at least lay down early in the evening because of the pain. It was so bad. And I was having headaches, and I was waking up just feeling awful. And the truth is, is that for someone like me, um, being a hockey player and whatever my, my persona, my imaginary view of myself, it was, I don't want to tell people that I'm dealing with this weakness. I don't want people to know. In fact, one of my defense mechanisms that happened because of the chronic pain, and this is true for a lot of people with chronic pain, is that I would get a little bit, and you're going to understand this, I'd get like a little bit hyped up and like extra hyped up about stuff because the adrenaline and the energy would help it not feel so painful. And so people would think, man, she's doing great. Do you see how sneaky that is? Like it, it was actually me trying to cope that gave off the impression that I was doing great, but it was me trying to power through my day so I could get to the end of the day and be at home with my roommates at that time and just like sit under a blanket and talk to them so the light wouldn't hurt how bad my head was hurting and how much pain I was in. And so I began to let some people into this because this story really brought to the surface for me what does it look like to let your friends bring you to Jesus? And the truth is, is that that physical aspect of my life was not the only area of my life that I needed people to bring me to Jesus. There was things that were going on in my life spiritually at times, and I needed people to bring me to Jesus. There were things that went on in my life relationally with just really hard relationships where things were not working. And there was times when I was feeling super far from God. There were times when I've gone through uh, emotional stuff that just felt out of my control, and I needed other people to help me to confront that stuff in my life. And I think that God used that experience of chronic physical pain to teach me what it looks like as a person to let people take me to Jesus in all those different aspects of my life. You guys, it took at least, it was 10 years that I dealt with this chronic pain. I can't tell you how many times I wanted to give up and just tell people, you know, it's fine. I had people pray for me. We tried so many different things. The people who brought me to the places of healing and tried to support me, thing after thing after thing, and then finally there were some things that helped, okay? I don't know how to explain it except that I'm so glad I didn't give up after year three or year five or year seven because it wasn't until year 10 that the people who were still in it with me helped me to have enough energy and strength to keep pursuing the healing that I needed. And now I wouldn't say that I'm pain-free, but this is just actual hype, okay? It's not covering anything up. My husband's like, oh, that's funny. It's a little intense sometimes. But you see how creepy that was in my life. We all have these different things in our life that, to use the, il the illustration of the story, that are paralyzed, okay? And I don't mean that in any way to, to be offensive towards that concept. But in the story, the person is physically paralyzed, right? 
And I really believe that the story is told so that we can see that there's times when we are externally and physically paralyzed. Absolutely, a lot of us fa have faced that in, in people in our life that we know, or perhaps some of you have faced it yourself. But we all deal with the sense of being paralyzed spiritually at times or emotionally or relationally. Things that go on in our, financially, right? There are so many areas of our life where we are held back from what God wants for us because we're struggling. And here these friends brought their friend to Jesus because, well, they could physically see that he was in that, in that spot. But so many of us, it's not external, right? We choose whether or not we're going to let other people into it because it's actually things that are relatively easy for us to hide and to keep from other people in our lives. So I think this passage invites us to ask a few questions, okay? The questions, because we, like I just suggested, for the most part, we have a decision if we're going to get on the mat or not, right, to let our friends bring us to Jesus. So I think these questions are, are we going to be the people who get on the mat and let our community bring us to Jesus? Are we willing to do that? I think that's one of the hardest questions for a lot of us. I think this passage also brings up the question, are we going to be the type of community where it's safe to get on the mat? Where people will believe you when you say, I'm on this mat and I need healing. Where people will assume the best of what you're trying to say about your situation. Can we be a community that's safe in that way? And then finally, are we going to help carry the corners of someone's mat when they need us to? In the story, I've never noticed this before, but it says that there were some friends that were bringing their friend to Jesus and four of them picked up the corners of the mat. So there was more than just the four friends, but four of them chose to do the heavy lifting. And I think that's true in our life. We don't need everybody to do it, but are there times when you are the right person to have one of those corners of that mat for somebody in their life? And are we willing to do that heavy lifting, so to speak? I want to go back through this passage and point out some things that I think are super helpful that sometimes we can just breeze over and totally miss. And I'll just have them on the screen, the things that I'm kind of picking up. I think this helps us see something significant about Jesus and who Jesus is in the midst of these difficult situations, but also the human condition and what it looks like for us as humans to try to join into the healing that, that God offers. So the first thing that I notice is that there's times in our lives when we can't get ourselves to Jesus without help. Perhaps one of the biggest lies that comes out of most of our mouths is the phrase, I'm fine, right? How's it going? Fine. I'm okay. And I get that. That's the person that's asking you is probably just wondering. They, they're just saying it like a gesture, right? They don't really want you to start unloading. Has anybody accidentally unloaded on somebody who wasn't ready for it? Yeah, it doesn't go well. But what happens when we're really not fine and we're telling ourselves we can do this, we can do this, and we have to start with being honest with ourselves that I actually can't get to Jesus myself in this situation. And if I could, it's going to take way too long. It's not going to be good. I want you just to assume that whatever it is that's going on in your life, maybe one of the most difficult situations that you're facing, and maybe not everyone is facing something huge, but I would suggest most of us are facing at least something. I want you just to assume that in this specific thing you're thinking about, you do need other people to help you to get to Jesus in this. This is so clear in this story, isn't it? The second thing I notice is that moving towards healing takes courage. The friends and this paralyzed man had to have a lot of courage to make this happen, didn't they? They're, I mean, to, to, to carry this guy physically, I'm sure it was difficult, to this place, the building, imagine this house, it's full of people, they can't even get in, and then to say, I'm going to get onto the roof of this house, homes at this time were usually flat, they're usually made out of clay and straw, and they're very, very hard, 
and there's usually a ladder that's going up. So just imagine this man is, is laying on this mat, and they're having to, I'm sure, kind of vertically pull him up to the top of this roof. This, is, this takes courage. This is not safe, so to speak, right? There's some risk involved. Not to mention then you're, you're actually, imagine these friends, on the roof making a hole in said roof that you are standing on, okay? Risky. It takes courage. I have to imagine that by the time they made a hole big enough to put the man through, that they didn't wait until they could horizontally drop him through, but they just you know, made it happen. You, you can't overestimate how this, I mean, underestimate this. Like, think about how overwhelming and how much courage it would take to do something like this. So I think that this, this idea of uh, watching this story and thinking about these friends coming to this house and they can't get in, and so they figure out how to get on the roof, clearly not plan A, right? I think this brings up this reality that we often need to be persistent. That's the next thing. We often need to be persistent. There's so many stories, even in the book of Mark, where we see so clearly that Jesus seems to respond really consistently to people who are persistent in pursuing their healing. You see that in the story of Jairus coming to talk about his daughter in chapter 5 and Bartimaeus, who is blind, who comes to Jesus in chapter 10. There's this sense of people being persistent. These friends show some persistence, don't they? They don't show up and say, oh, well, the line's too long. I guess we'll have to come back for healing another day. They go to extreme measures to make this happen. How easy is it for us to want the quick fix? Man, I'll tell you, in that example of my chronic pain, that's all I wanted, right? I went to this neurologist, and I was like, isn't there, like, a pill for this? You guys, do you know that almost every medication that they've found to help people with headaches, some of you know because you've dealt with headaches, almost every medication that helps you with headaches has a side effect of headaches? Think about that for a minute. It's the weirdest thing. And so I just wanted something. Can I just, something that would just fix this right now? We live in that quick fix world, don't we, where we just hope that something can just happen and fix the situation. But we often need to be persistent. And being persistent means you have to have an extra measure of trust, doesn't it? And patience and a willingness to keep trying. The next thing I notice is that there's a cost to these friends and to this person. They have physically made a hole in another person's house, okay? It doesn't say what happens there, but I can't imagine that that was something that they didn't have to be a part of fixing. And I've heard some scholars say, oh, well, it was a mud roof. It wasn't that big of a deal. If you've ever tried to stop a leaking roof from leaking, you know there's no such thing as a quick fix to fix a roof. There was a level of, of actual cost to what they had to do. There's also the cost, especially for the person who needed the healing, of the fact that there was a bunch of people that had to see him in that state, right? There was a, a relational cost to that being exposed. Now, notice it wasn't everyone in the whole town, but for those people who were there, he had to be the center of attention in the moment of most significant weakness of his life. And while I don't think that we have to be the center of attention with our weakness, we do have to be willing to let it come out in front of certain people, even when it's really hard. I would suggest that it absolutely, it's true, Everyone doesn't need to know everything. Nope, not at all. But there needs to be someone who knows different things in your life. There shouldn't be any one thing in your life that no one's let into because that is a dangerous place to be. When you've got stuff going on in your mind and heart and you know that if any other person knew what was going on, they'd be concerned, you should be concerned. Who is that one next person that you're going to share that with or do the best you can to begin to open up that part of your life with? It's going to cost us sometimes but the result is this sense of healing. The next thing I notice is that the faith of your friends can be crucial to your healing. Do you notice that? 
It says that Jesus, seeing the faith of this man's friends, healed him. Now, I don't know for sure how much faith this man had. For all we know, he was like, I don't want to go. And they were like, too bad. You can't move. We're taking you anyway. <laughs> all right? I, I, I hope that that's not what it comes to for most of us, but it has come to that for me in my life. I'll be totally honest, where people have been like, we are carefronting you because you need help, and we are coming alongside you. I don't know. Maybe the man was full of faith, but Jesus doesn't mention the person who needed healing's faith. Isn't that fascinating? He only mentions the faith he sees of this man's friends. And he sees it because they physically brought him. But then a few verses later, he knows the heart of these other people. So I would suggest he also knows in their heart that they have that sense of faith. Maybe you're in a season where you need to lean on the faith of some of your friends. But you can't do that if they don't know that you need that in your life. The next thing I notice is that Jesus prioritizes the spiritual aspect of the person. So we notice in this story, this man is, I mean, just imagine, he's coming through the roof. And Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. But his body is not physically healed. Can you notice that happening first in the story? And it's just enough time for all those religious leaders to go, he said, what? He can't be forgiving people. That is not something he's supposed to do. Although, of course, they say that in their minds, right? I think that this is a really important distinction in this story, and it happens in other places as well, where this man is forgiven spiritually being healed without being physically healed. Why is that important? It's important because I think that even though there are consequences to things that happen in our lives, this is really important. There's a lot of spiritual damage that's been done by suggesting that people are suffering or sick or experiencing mental illness or are experiencing uh, relational problems or something like that as a consequence or a result or a punishment for their sins. Jesus is separating the physical and the spiritual in this moment, and I think it's super important because there are times when we have gotten caught up in that lie. I know I have, where I've thought that this physical thing must be because I'm not good enough, I'm not right enough, the thing that happened to me, et cetera, et cetera. You guys, this is not true. This is not from God. I think this separation here is super key. And then you see that these religious leaders are upset about how Jesus offered this forgiveness before he's even healed them physically. He hasn't even done the physical healing yet. They're already upset, and, and they didn't even say it out loud. Did you notice that? They're just saying it in their mind. Have you ever thought something in your mind and then thought, did I say that out loud? Like some, a couple of you nodded. You're those people that are like, oh, no, I didn't. Good. I wonder if they thought that because Jesus is like, I know what you're thinking. I know what's going on in your hearts. And he knows also from their physical manifestation because it says that they were sitting there. These scribes and teachers were sitting there. Uh, it's really weird for us to realize this, but in those times, the, the person teaching would be sitting and the people would be standing. It was the opposite of what we do in American culture typically. And so the fact that they're sitting down is basically them saying we're really important here. And so he's confronting this. They think that he's really overstepping their authority, right? And then finally, the thing that I notice is that Jesus does care about the whole person. It's not that Jesus just cares about the spiritual reality of the person. Absolutely, Jesus cares about the whole person and he heals this man physically. This man's whole life was changed. And I know when I was reading this story and my physical healing was not coming, was not coming, was not coming for so long, and maybe it never would have, right? I don't think it's helpful for us to leave here today believing that we're all going to have the same outcome of this, that this man had, right? That would be unhelpful for us. 
I live with less pain than I had before, but there is still some pain that I deal with in my life. But I want to suggest this. When we let people bring us to Jesus, some healing always happens in some aspect of our life. As we move towards Jesus, there's a process of healing that happens. It might not be the exact healing that you want all the time, but healing does come in some form. So we all have this opportunity to receive this spiritual healing that comes from Jesus. And one of the things I think is so key for us to remember is that even though we might experience being healed or more, more healed or more open to help in these different ways, we have to hold out the future hope, don't we? When all things will be made new and all the things that are causing us pain and suffering will be wiped away. But in the, mean, in the meantime, I think we can get glimpses of this reality when we let people bring us to Jesus in our lives. So I'm going to have the band come back up. And I want you to think about in your life, what is the different areas of your life? Maybe it's physical, emotional, relationship, or lack thereof of relationship that's just weighing on your, in your life. Maybe it's, it's financial, maybe it's spiritual. Maybe it's some sort of combination of these things. But it's so important for me to say to you right now, you are not alone. And please do not believe the lie that you're the only one. Man, I can't tell you how many times somebody's telling me their story and they say, I know I'm the only one, and I'm going, oh, I know like 10 other stories, but I'm not supposed to tell you because it's confidential. You're not the only one, I promise you. We have to pray against this shame so that we can be a shame-free zone for people. We might have to be persistent. We're definitely going to have to have courage. We're going to have to be willing to let people carry us to Jesus even though it might cost us something. But you guys, I really believe that it's worth it. So I'm going to offer just one challenge to you. We're going to have this conversation for a few weeks. But I'm going to offer just one challenge, okay? And I have a a slide. Here's the question. What is one courageous conversation you could have this week? Just one courageous conversation. It's one of those I'm putting myself on the mat conversations maybe. Or maybe it's a carefrontation. You like that, carefrontation? Maybe it's a carefrontation for someone you know in your life just needs someone to come alongside them. Are you willing to have that courageous conversation? Because that needs to come from vulnerability, not from strength. Because that's where courage comes from in our life. I'm going to bring this up multiple times in this conversation, but I'm a huge fan of Christian therapy and Christian therapists. Huge fan. We've got an excellent list on our website, millcitychurch.com backslash care. Millcitychurch.com backslash care. Any of the people listed there would be excellent. You guys, if you're just feeling really stuck, please consider what that would look like in your life. But we also want to just do a little bit more intentionality around prayer. So you should have gotten one of these cards when you came in, and we're going to give them out every week. And it gives you an opportunity to write down some of the things that you need prayer for. We often just do this at the offering time, but we have these baskets here. So in a minute, we're going to serve communion. The communion servers can come up. And if there's a prayer request, we have people who want to pray for you every week. And they're going to be even more intentional over these next few weeks. So consider even right now just writing down something that you would love prayer for. We all have things we could use some prayer for. And as you come down the line, just stick that in these baskets that are here on these desks so we can be committed to pray for you.